All right, folks, it is Friday. This is gonna be an amazing conversation with you to take into the weekend to get ready for that Thanksgiving week that's headed your way so that you can fight with your crazy uncle. Mark Meckler is here, as I said. He founded the Tea Party movement back in 2009. He is using Article 5 of the Constitution to get states organized. 34 states need to get organized and sign on for a convention of states. What is a convention of states? Will it happen and what does it mean for all of us? Let's bring in Mark Meckler and find out. Mark, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be with you. Yeah. So I want to I want to take uh, viewers back just a, a minute and explain a little bit about who you are and then really get into conventions of states because I, it, it actually I, I'll end with it. But so don't jump the shark. But it was it was this this hit piece on Mike Johnson that got me to really think again. They were talking about this right wing group and they were like, finally, I get through the article of conventions of the states. I'm like, that's not a right wing group. I know that guy. But let me just start with you. You you sort of came in onto the scene uh, as the the leader, the founder of Tea Party Patriots. Walk walk us through how you got there. I mean, like in other words, wh- what was the scene like? Why did you want to found it? How did it come into evolution, et cetera? Yeah, I wish I could tell you it was some big brilliant plan that I had, but honestly, Sean, just a fluke that I ended up in politics. My background is as a lawyer, yeah, uh, and I had a practice primarily in internet advertising law. I was working from home in Northern California, really enjoying being a dad, and I'm a I'm a non-public kind of person. And when the Tea Party movement first started, Rick uh, Santelli on CNBC did his now infamous rant and suggested that there be a Tea Party movement in America. Rick, have you been listening to this conversation? Listening to it? I've been just glued to it because Mr. Ross has nailed it. You know, the the government is promoting bad behavior because we certainly don't want to put stimulus for it and give people a whopping eight or ten dollars in their check and think that they ought to save it. And in terms of modifications, I'll tell you what, I have an idea. You know, the, the new administration's big on computers and technology. How about this, President and new administration? Why don't you put up a website to have people vote on the internet as a referendum to see if we really want to subsidize the losers' mortgages, or would we like to at least buy cars and buy houses in foreclosure and give them to people that might have a chance to actually prosper down the road and reward people that could carry the water instead of drink the water. I sort of just got swept up in that. I saw that rant. I thought, yeah, we need to do this. Uh, And there was a suggestion that tea parties be held at the beginning of February, mid-February of 09. I held one in California on the steps of the Capitol. I'd never done anything political in my life. Just stop for one second. When you held a tea party, like, I mean, just stop for a second and explain that. Was it like, hey, I sent out an email to folks and said, hey, like, what what was the call to action? How did, did you just say, I'm going to show up on the steps of the Capitol in Sacramento? Did you get a group of folks together? I mean, that's what I don't think people fully appreciate is it. How does that go from, I heard Rick Santelli on CNBC to, yeah. I got people on the steps of the Capitol. Yeah, I forget how bizarre it is in hindsight, you know, right. having lived through it. And so the reality is nobody had any idea what they were doing. This was true grassroots. There was no central organization a bunch of people just started saying, well, we'll do a little protest. And it's funny because honestly, Sean, conservatives, we don't know about protests. That's not something we do. <laughs> we have jobs. <laughs> exactly. And so it was just a kind of a, well, let's go down to the Capitol. We'll make some pithy signs and we'll stand on the sidewalk. We'll kind of 
politely imitate liberals, right? We won't destroy anything. We won't trash anything. We'll hold up signs and see what happens. But what was and on the signs? What, what, was, what were you going to protest? What was going to be on that so, sign? Well, look, it was really around uh, government out of control. So the idea was there was enough taxes. Some people say that Tea Party stands for taxed enough already. I certainly didn't know that at the time, but we were anti-taxes, anti-regulation, pro-constitution, Part of it was they were starting to push through Obamacare and mm -hmm. it was so outrageous what was going on and they didn't care what the people thought. So it was really just conservatives saying, we want a part in the discussion. We want our voices to be heard. Okay. So you tell folks, hey, let's go to the, <laughs> it's sort of like that scene in old school. We're going streaking. Right? It's like, it's we're going to Sacramento. <laughs> well, so look, I, at the time, I was not a social media user. I set up a Facebook page specifically to do this. We didn't, I'd never been on Facebook before. Right. So I started spreading that around by Facebook. And remember that my job was I was an internet advertising attorney. So I was pretty well versed in the web. Uh, it's early days still. And so we start to just put that out there. No advertising, just everybody I can find on Facebook that I know or anybody who has a conservative page in California, I'm notifying. I notified all my friends in my little town in Grass Valley. Mm -hmm. I brought my parents with me who were retired. I took my kids out of school who were 10 and 13 at the time. And we had some signs saying we were taxed enough already and that the government was out of control. And we went down there. Sean, we knew so little. I didn't know you needed a permit at the state capitol. And so the police tried to throw us off the capitol grounds. And the only reason we pulled it off is because my mom was a law enforcement officer up in our little town. And she just schmoozed the officers there. We got a permit and, and we held that first protest on February 20th, 2009. About 150 people showed up. I don't know about you, but I've started to get a little freaked out about all of these things that are going online with your privacy. And there's something that I didn't fully appreciate, but these internet service providers, they follow and track you and legally, legally can sell your information to advertisers. I didn't realize that, I mean, I... I I guess I should have asked, but I have an ExpressVPN on my laptop here, and you can put ExpressVPN on anything, laptop, uh, phone, whatever, right? And it protects you. It's like locking, pulling down the shade so that no one's looking in. It's like, uh, well, there's a bunch of different analogies we could give you, but you don't want people looking in at you. And you don't want people following you online to know about where you are, what you're doing, your browsing history, gathering data and selling it off. That's what they're doing. So protect yourself. Um, ExpressVPN gives you that sense of security that you need. But it also does something cooler. And I talked about this as we were leading up to Halloween, which is it gives you access to a lot of cool stuff. For example, Netflix has a catalog in every country, which I didn't realize until I got ExpressVPN. What does that mean? It means that if you're watching Netflix in the US, you can see certain movies. If you're watching in Canada, Australia, whatever, you can watch other movies. And that's true with all of these streaming platforms, Disney Plus, et cetera, right? So when you have ExpressVPN, you can trick it and tell your computer that you're in another country. It gives you security, it gives you options. And so it ultimately saves you a ton of money because you take that Netflix account and magnify it so that you don't have to have maybe a ton of streaming services. You could have one and then just fake the computer into other countries and access the catalog of movies from those countries that may not be available here in the US. If you want to have both security and access all this stuff, go to expressvpn.com slash Spicer. You'll get three months free. So that's a sweet deal. Try it now, get that sense of security, protect your privacy, and also save a ton of money by being able to access 
the ma- and maximize your streaming service. ExpressVPN.com Spicer for three months. Okay, so how does it go from a California, Sacramento, 150 people to this na- nationwide movement? Yeah, again, uh, I wish I could take credit for it, but what happened was uh, fake news intervened (laughs) and to our benefit, which was I started calling around people in California who had held these things. I found their Facebook pages. Ours was fun. I mean, we just had a great time being with like-minded people. And so I wanted to find out if other people had a good time. I started talking to them and learning, well, some people had a thousand people show up. They needed a PA system. I learned you needed a permit. So I started networking and somehow somebody in the media started asking people who had held these things in California, well, who's the leader? And there was no leader. It was true grassroots, but people said, well, we've all gotten a phone call from this guy, Mark Meckler. And so (laughs) they literally, Sean, named me the Tea Party leader of California, which is hilarious, completely fake. I didn't lead anything except for my own little protest. That led me to reach out to people all over the country. I started meeting people. There were 35 of these around the country. And that group is the group that decided to do the big Tea Party protest on April 15th of 09. And that's the one where over a million people came out, 850 protests around the country, we had 20,000 in Sacramento. And that launched me from just private citizen that nobody knew to a media figure. And that's how we founded Tea Party Patriots. Okay, so walk me through that. So what it goes from, by the way, it reminds me when you're saying this, one of my, you know, people always ask, what's your favorite quote? What's this? What's that? My favorite quote, uh, there's a few of them, but probably the favorite is there's a, a General Krulak who was the Commandant of the Marine Corps. And he said, in the absence of leadership, take charge. And I've always thought that that's true. And it sounds like that's what yeah. you did. You, you sort of were like, okay, there's a bunch of these people, no one's leading it, I'll lead the effort. And I, it's just, it reminds me over and over again that sometimes we're called to stand up and take charge. And it, it sounds like in, in this case, that was the deal. Yeah, and I think that's a really important theme and something I look for nowadays. I tell people when your moment comes, step in. And so what happened was after the April 15th protests, which was just gigantic, 850 of these around the country, several of us in that group said, we need to continue this. We can't walk away. The way I look at it, God put this opportunity in front of us to serve our country. I never served in the armed forces. This was my chance. And so we decided to found Tea Party Patriots. We had no idea what we were doing. We had no money. We had no experience. But we just knew that there needed to be a go forward place for this thing that was happening that had turned into a movement. And so that's how Tea Party Patriots got founded. Okay, so I, you start reaching out, you get all these folks, you form Tea Party Patriots, you have this big rally. I mean, this was, I, I just, I think for people who weren't there at the time, I mean, this, I don't even know if it, it's sort of like it was the MAGA of its day. I mean, I, frankly, I don't think that MAGA would be MAGA without Tea Party. And like this, this really was the movement. And so what, where does, where does it go? Like, do, is there a call to, to get 10 items that you want done? Is it, hey, let's figure out how to take over the party? What, what is it that you guys wanted to accomplish? And, and how did that movement evolve? Yeah. So I, I think it's even less sophisticated than all of that, which is kind of the funny part is it really was sort of, we have no idea what we're doing. We have no institutional support. In fact, all the big groups that were out there in Washington, DC, were trying to figure out who were these people and and how did this happen? So what actually happened was, again, just it was grassroots. Uh, We, the goal was really to push constitutional values, limited government values, 
uh, free market values. Those were the three things that we talked about. We initially didn't think about elections. We initially didn't think about any real influence politically. It was just kind of building a movement. It sounds naive and funny in hindsight, uh, but that's exactly what we're looking at. Ultimately, that led to organizing for the 2010 elections. And in 2010, that leads to the largest swing in Congress between parties since 1938. And suddenly we were a serious political force in Washington, D.C. So I remember after 1994, I, it was my first campaign. One of the candidates that I was working for in Connecticut uh, was one. So there were 10 planks to the contract with America. And they said, you know, I think three incumbents signed it or something like that. And then a couple open seats and a couple of challengers. My candidate was one of the three or four challenger candidates that signed the contract with America. I mean, so we signed it, we went down to, to Washington, D.C. New Gingrich flew up, did a fundraiser, an event for us. I mean, this was monumental, right? It was this, it was this movement yeah. within the Republican Party. I feel like the Tea Party Patriots was the next, the sort of the, the, the part two of this. What, what did you, but, but I remember after that, right? I, I was going to all these events. I think I'm, I, I forgot, 23, 24 years old. I mean, the, it was so exciting. And Newt, Newt names Rush Limbaugh, like an honorary member of the class. Cause Rush, I mean, and I was one of those guys that we would drive around all day, putting up yard signs, distributing literature, knocking on doors. And we had Rush on, right? And that's what you're, who had fed us and what motivated us was hearing Rush every day, telling us what we should be saying and doing and, and really giving us ideas and policies. I feel like the Tea Party movement was the same in 2010. And the question is, so after this is all done, how does the party and the leadership treat you and the, and the, and the Tea Party folks? I mean, I would say at best with complete and total disdain. And this was a huge- <laughs> Hey, thanks for winning it for us, guys. Get the heck out. <laughs> this was a huge lesson for me. I'll tell you, there's a really interesting story that takes place very early on. So we go to Capitol Hill, we understand, we think we understand what we're facing in the in the nature of the swamp. We had no idea, really. So we get there and we decide to hold uh, sort of a opening session for the Tea Party congressmen. We, we want to get to them and we want to tell them what we're looking for before Capitol Hill gets to them. And so the day before they're sworn in, we hold a big event on Capitol Hill. We invite all these people that we had helped elect and two major lobbying firms schedule an event for the exact same time as our event. All these people at RSVP'd <laughs> and we start getting them withdrawing. They're literally calling us up saying, well, we're sorry, we're being told by leadership. We have to attend this other event. It turned into a huge controversy. We actually released all of their private cell phone numbers to the general <laughs> public. Uh, they were very, but they had no office numbers. You know how it works, Sean, like the day before they get sworn in, they don't have office numbers. They don't have official emails. And our only way to reach them was on their cell phones and we buried them. And about 95% of them ended up showing up at our event because they just got so much heat. They weren't happy. Leadership wasn't happy with us. But we realized at that moment, that was the first time I realized how deep the swamp actually was. All right, folks, as you know, crisis can strike at any time. The question is, are you gonna be prepared medically are you going to have the tools necessary? Think about the rush that happened during 2020. Are you going to have the medical necessities that you need to deal with common ailments? I'm talking urinary tract infections, ear infections, strep throat, and more. Having a pack from Contingency Medical will save the day. These will provide you the common antibiotics that treat hundreds of ailments. You'll have them at your fingertips. 
if you go to contingency medical. Uh, they even have symptom management medicines from everything from nausea to diarrhea to motion sickness. So if crisis strikes, you will be prepared. I've got some free samples in a Ready Pack Plus that they sent me. You're talking about things that you know, you're getting worn down. They've got stuff for that. They also provide access to board-certified physicians to get um, safe and effective treatments. It's unbelievable. You get all of this shit from a licensed pharmacist. Don't wait. Go to contingencymedical.com slash Spicer, promo code Spicer, for $20 off your first pack. $20 off any pack that you choose from Contingency Medical. And again, when crisis strikes, you may not have access to this. So planning ahead is a smart thing. As a reminder, Contingency Medical and its products are not intended as a substitute for professional medical treatment or advice. Consult with your healthcare provider. But I think it's fascinating. I, I, I was going to actually talk to you about this. So I think the lessons learned to me is always fascinating when you go through these machinations because you come out stronger if you actually do an analysis of what worked and what didn't. And how many of those folks to this day have stayed true to those, to those principles? So few. It's, I mean, you can literally count them on one hand. Uh, I would say Ted Cruz, for the most part, he came out of that. Mike Lee, uh, Rand Paul. <laughs> it's hard yeah, to name a lot. You know, there's a few more probably that I'm missing, but very few. We lost some of them in five minutes, some five weeks. Some took a few months, but we lost most of them. It's just, it really is amazing. You're, it's, you know, uh, about how that works. And these guys came and they said, oh, here's where the real money is. And uh, but it's it's fascinating because I compare the two. Like I said, Rush was made an honorary member. I mean, Newt recognized the power that he had, the, the role and the power that he'd played in, in doing this. And you would have thought that these guys would have said, hey, you added members to our ranks. We want to thank you and bring you into the fold. That's what I, I mean, I would have think the smart yeah. move would have say, hey, Mark Meckler, you were a real champion of this. You put a lot of energy and elbow grease into this. I want to thank you for this. Instead, it was like, hey, get out of here, buddy. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I literally had people say things to me like, well, look, if you can learn to sort of play the game, you're going to have some real power here in Washington, D.C. In fact, people always used to say, you've heard this phrase, it's cliche, you'll have a seat at the table. And my right. response was always, you don't want me at your table because my goal is to kick the table over and take the power <laughs> out of Washington, D.C. Of course, they didn't like that, you know, but but yeah. we really, none of us wanted to be in D.C., I'd rather be at home with my family. I wasn't looking for the fame. There's certainly, I could tell you there's been no fortune in it for us. Uh, we're there because we wanted to restore the Republic. Okay, so where does it go from there? So within a couple of years, I realized that we've made a grave mistake. We miscalculated. We didn't understand the depth of the swamp, the power that the lobbying class had, the entrenched bureaucracies. We didn't understand any of that. And I was pretty disillusioned with the whole thing. I'd given up a career, a very lucrative career as a lawyer to, to do all this stuff. And Patty and I had put kind of everything on the line and spent it all. And I felt like it wasn't working. Uh, 2012, you get the Senate and they don't do anything really either. And so I was going to retire from politics. I just thought I tried, it didn't work. I'm going to go back to making money. I was really blessed. I had a very good friend and a donor say to me, we still have to figure out how to save the country. Uh, he offered me a job, best job offer a human can get. He said, I'll pay you to help me figure out what to do. And we literally <laughs> had no idea what to do. And so that was, uh, I took that job offer and we founded an organization called Citizens for Self-Governance. 
First thing we did was raise a million dollars and give it away to all the Tea Party groups that got virtually nothing out of the Tea Party movement. This is part of my beef with the movement is it kind of went native in DC and didn't spend money on the local grassroots groups. So did that. Second thing we did is we sued the IRS on behalf of all the people that have been targeted by Lois Lerner and Obama's IRS. Uh, and that was, right. uh, I think, a very productive and important thing to do. Very hard work. People don't like to give money to suing the IRS for good reason, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Hello. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately uh, when uh, the new administration came in, we were able to settle that case. And I'm not aware of any other class action settlement against the IRS. We got $3.7 million, not enough, and not enough people were punished as they should be. And then the third thing is that's how I transition into convention of states. I'm looking for a better solution than just electing good people because obviously that wasn't enough. Okay, so let's let's start that conversation, right? So Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution gives states the power to call for a convention to propose amendments. It takes 34 states to call for the convention and 38 states to ratify any amendments that are proposed. Walk right. us through why, like, what what was the goal? Like, you start this thing called Convention of States. Right. Was there any ground laid at that point, or is this an unchartered, unfurled ground that you guys have to go plow? Yeah, this is literally uncharted ground. Where it comes from is I get introduced to a guy by the name of Mike Ferris. Some of your viewers yeah. might know that name. He founded Homeschool Legal Defense Association. So if you've homeschooled your kids or know anybody who has they owe a debt of gratitude to Mike Ferris. He founded Patrick Henry College, great Christian school in Percival, Virginia. He's a Virginian. Yep, yep, Virginian, yep. absolutely. He ran for lieutenant governor of Virginia right. at one point. A really great man. And, and what he said to me was, look, you're chasing the wrong problem. You think we have a personnel problem in Washington, D.C., but our government was designed to handle bad people, corrupt people. And it was by balance <laughs> of power, by checks and balances. We've broken our structure of government. And unless we fix the structure, it doesn't really matter who we send to D.C. That made sense to me. I'm a business guy first. I understand bad structure, bad results, even if you have good people. And so he convinced me this was a smart thing to do. I took it to my board. We were looking for a solution. This was the only solution I'd ever seen that was as big as the problem that we're facing in Washington, D.C. Okay, so like, let's explain to people what, what, is, what would that mean? What, what are you looking to achieve? Yeah, I'll, and I'll back up even one step. You did a great job of explaining the mechanism, but I want to explain the why the yeah. framers put that in the Constitution. In 1787, during the Constitutional Convention, at the very end of the convention, Colonel George Mason from Virginia stood up two days before end of convention and said, we've got this problem. In the document, we gave the power to the federal government to propose amendments, but we didn't give it to the people acting through the states and he asked a question, are we so naive that we believe that a federal government that becomes a tyranny will propose amendments to restrain its own tyranny? Now, we don't have videotapes, so we don't know exactly what happened, but his notes kind of reflect it. They say NINCOM, it was an abbreviation for no comment in Latin, meaning there was no debate. Everybody realized that it wouldn't work. Human nature is that centralized power centralizes more. It seeks its own growth. And eventually the states were going to have to check that power. So they gave them this power in the second clause of Article 5 to restrain federal tyranny. That was the point. And so the way we set up our application is, well, what are, what's the basis of federal tyranny and how do we address that? So this convention is designed to discuss three things. One would be imposing term limits on the federal government. 
Most people think of that as Congress, and that's true in this case, but also bureaucrats, staffers, and the courts. We know now that the deep state is a fundamental problem. I call this the Fauci Amendment. We don't ever need another Dr. Fauci who spends his entire life in the federal government accumulating power. So you could limit their terms, and you could limit the terms of staffers and all bureaucrats. So that's one thing. Second is anything that would impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. They spend more than they take in. It's unsustainable. They're completely out of control financially. We're going to have to rein them in. That could include balanced budget amendment, tax and spending caps, imposing generally accepted accounting principles, lots of ways to put a rope around the federal government spending. And then the last thing is anything that would impose what are called scope or jurisdictional restraints. From a constitutional perspective, this means pushing back towards the original enumerated powers. Federal government never was intended to have the power to be involved in education or energy or healthcare or the environment, things that they are central in now. So we could limit those areas of authority of the federal government. That's what we're setting out to do. Okay. And, and obviously, the, the framers gave us two ways to do this, right? You got the convention of states that you could do stuff in to amend the Constitution, but then you can also amend the Constitution to straight up, right, through a single amendment. Yeah, so, so there are two ways. The first way, and the way we've gotten 27 amendments so far, is Congress proposes the amendment. It takes both houses, two-thirds of both houses can propose an amendment, and then it goes out to the states for ratification. Same method, uh, three-quarters of states required, 38 states. That's how we have all 27 amendments. We've never held a convention of states. Uh, Congress doesn't want us to hold a convention of states because they don't want the states asserting their authority. The beauty of the convention of states process, Sean, is twofold in my opinion. One is it allows the states to put a direct check on the federal government. This is the ultimate act of federalism. And the second is it's it's no risk. And, and what I mean by that, people will talk about the risk. All a convention can do is propose amendments. It's a suggesting convention. And then it takes 38 states to ratify, same process as if you go by Congress. So, so, what just, that so allows, just, so just so I'm clear, right? So way one is that Congress, both houses propose, they send it to the states. The second is if you guys had a convention of states, they would just expedite this, meaning they would propose stuff and it would still have to go through the states, correct? So you, couldn't, you wouldn't walk out of this convention with changes per se. You would actually then have to take those ideas and send them to the states to, to ratify, correct? Exactly. So I call it a suggesting convention. They get together, they figure out what suggestions they want to make to the states. And then it goes out to the states and it takes a super, super majority of the states, 38 states to ratify. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's fourpatriots.com, includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, for Patriots.com, you do not want to be without power in case something happens. 
So let's get back to this convention of states, what you're focused on. So your goal is to get enough states to call for this convention, correct? Correct. That's 34 states required. Okay. And so when did it start and where are we now? So it started 10 years ago. The process is it takes both houses in a state legislature to vote by simple majority, generally speaking, to propose entering into this convention. And all it is, it's called an application or a call for convention. Uh, it's so far 19 states who are on the verge of 20 right now. 20 states have called for this convention of states at 20. That would mean we have 14 more states to go. Okay. So can they uncall it? Meaning, let's say that a legislature was supermajority Republican 10 years ago when you started, and now they've drifted. And so can they, do, are they bound by that call that they might have made eight, 10 years ago? No, I mean, this makes it more difficult, but I think it's also correct, which is if a state entered that call, made that application, and then they change composition and they go from right to left, for example, they can rescind their call to convention. So far, no states have rescinded our application. And have no states done it because they just don't think they're on the verge or because you think that they're still on board? They're still on board. We we haven't had any states that would rescind. We do, we have seen, there've been other applications for a convention of states in history. And we have seen states that shifted from red to blue rescind applications. Okay. So you've got 20, is that correct? And you need 14 more if you get this 20th in, in the That's bag? Correct. Is that, okay. Yep. And what what's the, like, is there any states, so of the 14 that, that are to go, uh, to, to get there. What, what's sort of the pecking order, if you will? Yeah, I would say uh, right now, number one, I mean, I, I want to clarify, we have 19, 20th is going to be a little bit of a litigation in Kansas. We passed in Kansas. Kansas requires a super majority in their legislature to vote on this. That's unconstitutional because of the supremacy clause of the United States Constitution. So they're adding extra requirements, can't do that. So that litigation will likely resolve itself hopefully December, January, that'll be number 20. I would say next in line is probably North Carolina. We've passed in the House several sessions in a row, just haven't been able to get quite across the finish line in the Senate. I think we're on the verge there. I think Ohio uh, is relatively strong now. It looks pretty good. We have leadership in both houses on board. Uh, we have great sponsorship in both houses. Iowa looks very, very strong. Idaho looks strong. Uh, Wyoming and Montana both are looking very good, but they're probably, uh, Wyoming's in a, will be in a short session this year. It's a budget session, so we may not get heard there, but I would say 2024, 2025 for both of those states. So that's kind of the early pecking order coming up. So what would that, that would get you what? I think that's six, seven right there. Yeah. So, uh, that probably pushes us up towards 25, 26, uh, and that's where it really starts to get rough because right now we have 29 states with both houses controlled by Republicans. And uh, we were hoping to pick up Virginia in this cycle, obviously. Yeah, that was sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> not, not a good job there. Although I have to say, I don't think Virginia is much of, it's not as traumatic as people make it out to be. Uh, those legislatures, both houses of the legislature are still very, very close. I, you know, it's funny and, you say that. I don't mean to get off topic. It's funny you say that because- <laughs> Republicans actually picked up a seat. They needed two to get the right. majority in the Senate. They picked one up and they lost the majority by three seats in the House of Delegates. But it's still like a one, we get one seat back and we would control yeah. it again. I mean, I I just, I think that it, I, I kept saying right after on the show, right after the election, people were blowing Virginia out of proportion Absolutely. in terms of the reality of it. And, and I get the disappointment. Believe me, I live here. I get 
the consequences yeah. of this and the difference that that led those two or three seats would have made to Glenn Youngkin. But I think you're right. And frankly, enough things happen. I don't want to be, you know, between job opportunities, illnesses, et cetera. Who knows what happens in the next two years? But I, Virginia is is sort of one that I'd keep my eye on. Yeah, it's still in play. And also, I think a lot of people forget that Virginia got redistricted and, and the redistricting right. had a major effect. I have a friend who's a senator there, and all of a sudden he found himself in a primary against two of his Republican allies. So they did a good job on redistricting yeah. against us. The, the idea that it still ended up so close, in my opinion, is really extraordinary. And it shows that Republicans still have strength in Virginia. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, so I think I Virginia mean, is a possible pickup. I think Nevada is a super interesting state to me, Sean, uh, because we, we meaning Republicans lose Nevada because of labor unions in Nevada, right, Clark County, but labor union members are drifting away from yes. their labor unions politically. Yeah, and no, no, I agree so with I, you. I think it's funny. Everyone, John Ralston, and all these geniuses out in Nevada tried to make sense of these polls that have Trump up. And I think that what they're missing is exactly what you just hit on, is that the labor union members, not the leadership, the members have gotten sick and tired of a woke, out of control, progressive Democratic Party that doesn't understand their, their needs anymore. And I think with the Biden policies on inflation and interest rates and everything else, it's just they've, they've had it. Yeah. So I think there are several states like that where there are potential pickups. Minnesota is still a closely divided legislature. Uh, and so we think we could pick up Minnesota. Another one that's interesting, and I was on the phone today uh, with a bunch of GOP folks out there in Colorado. Colorado is still, people want to paint it as an entirely blue state. It's still a frontier Wait, state. Do you, does it have to be a, is there any state that has a Democratic tilt to it that, that is interested in this? Or is it all Republican driven? It's pretty much Republican driven. I mean, we certainly have Democrats all across the country. We have a great Democrat sponsor in New Jersey. We've had a great Democrat sponsors in Ohio, but on a party wide basis, the thing about the Democrats they're so good at is they're very tribal. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll tell you a story. We're in Montana. We lost, we lost the vote in Montana in one of the houses by one vote in the Senate. And we had the vote and we need actually needed a Democrat vote. We had that vote. Uh, she got a call from uh, Senator Tester in Washington, D.C., who told her she better not vote for Convention of States. Uh, and she flipped on us. And so we didn't pass. We missed it by one vote. It was a tie there. And so this shows you that Democrats are united against it. And generally they are because they like centralized power in Washington, yeah. D.C. They don't like the idea of power going out to the states. That's a good point. So let, let's just let's assume for the sake of, of argument that you get there, you get to your 34. Walk me through the day that that happens. What happens? Yeah, process-wise, part of it, a little bit of it is laid out by the Constitution itself. So it says that the Congress chooses the time and place for the convention. So that's first. And so just, just say, so we're well, clear, these guys can't choose the time and place for lunch. And <laughs> I'm a little concerned. They can't. I mean, we didn't get a speaker for three weeks or whatever it was. And now you think they're going to pick the time and the place? No, I think they might not. I mean, I think this is interesting, although uh, this is really important to note. Congress is not filled with brave souls. And at this point, remember, it will be two thirds of states will express their desire. There will be, in my opinion, 34 states that are controlled by Republicans. Pretty much means there will be a Republican majority in both the House and Senate and probably in the White House, too. I don't imagine we'll see much resistance. However, there is a contingency plan, which is the states have the authority to get together anytime they want. Sean, they don't need Congress to do this. This is something Congress is supposed to do. 
we joke around in the movement and we say, if they won't do it, we don't need no stinking Congress. So let's play this out for one way yeah. or another. So yeah. Congress either picks a time and a place, which mm-hmm. I, I got to imagine. I just, again, let's just stop for a second. Pretend you get the phone call. It's 2026. Mark, we did it. We got 34. And, and you know, Majority Leader Cruz and Speaker Johnson are on the phone and say, Mark, wh- where are we doing this? This has been your baby. When and where do you want this? What, what's the answer? Yeah, the answer is probably within, uh, I would say, 90 to 120 days. You want to give the states long enough to get organized around this because they're going to have to choose their delegations if they've not already done so. They're going to have to figure out how to get everybody there, where to put everybody. There's a lot of logistical concerns. Uh, we're working on that stuff right now so that it doesn't take too long. For example, Sean, people don't think about this. You're going to have fairly large delegations likely from every state. They have one vote, but they can send as many people as they want. So you're probably going to have to secure an arena or stadium kind of facility somewhere. You need uh, press accommodations. Right, right. but that's what I'm, but I I agreed. I've done two conventions, right? I've done all the debates in, in 2015. You're right. And the one thing that I always tell people when they ask me about debates, I ran them all in 2015, 2016 is, is people say, well, we should just do it this way. And I'm like, right. And who pays for it? Who pays for the security? Who pays for the internet? Right. Who does the press filing center? Da, da, and you know, the arena, the, 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 these debates, this cycle are ranging anywhere from the, from the low threes into the $4 million per debate. So yes. who pays for this? Who organizes it? Yeah, so I think all of those questions remain to be debated. In fact, we have a commission working on this right now, and all the logistical questions, all the monetary questions, travel, security. In fact, I'll probably drag you into this, Sean, because you have so much knowledge around all this stuff. That's being worked out right now so that we don't stumble our way into that once we hit the 34 number. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of look at this like if, if this were me, I would almost set up the, the entity now and say, okay, here's, I mean, like, it was funny when, when, we, when Trump won, there was, and they did this after 9-11 where they set up for both sides. You, they, they, they give both Republican and Democratic candidate uh, a transition fund and they have people on it who are helping you. And, and I literally remember when, when President Trump named me White House press secretary, it was like, okay, guys, here's the manual. Here's how many, you know, here's the, the past org charts, whatever. And it was just sort of, it wasn't a manual, like, here's how you have to do it. It was like, We've done a lot of the legwork to help you think, yep. right? And so even on the conventions, I, you know, obviously 12 and 15 did both of those, Tampa and then Charlotte. There are people who stay after the convention to write manuals to say, okay, this is what worked, this is what didn't, this is what we should do next time in terms of credentialing, press filing, all that kind yep. of stuff. And so that you're not starting from scratch. But my, my guess is that if the dog ever catches the car here, someone better be willing, and I think it's you, and your yeah. organization that says, all right, here's the manual. We're going to have it in these. There's three choices of where we can have it that can accommodate this. Uh, here's how we, because that's the thing. It's the same thing with a convention. People ask me all the time, well, this place would be a great place to host a convention. And I go, okay, what's the transportation system like? Do they yep. have enough hotels? And it's like, there's a lot of wish, like I'd love to do this, but here's the reality. There's X number of places that can potentially even be considered. And I think, again, I don't mean to tell the, the, the boss here, what to do. But I think the problem is after watching Congress the last few weeks, I've become even more committed to this idea that it, that, to what I said to you about General Krulak, in the absence of leadership, take charge. And I think you guys just need to lay it out. Well, here's how it's going to get paid for. I mean, they'll pay for it. But, uh, but then here's where, here's the three potential places. 
But I don't see how Congress can possibly lead on this. No, and they're not going to. And that's exactly what we're doing. Like we've held two simulated conventions so far. Obviously, they're nowhere near the magnitude or the complexity that'll be when the real thing happens. But we've held two of these. That was sort of the first step to learn, well, functionally on the floor of convention, what's it look like? What do the rules need to be like? Right. How will it actually work? So that's in the bag. We have a pretty good idea how that are you functions. Are you at all concerned, by the way, that, that this process gets hijacked by the left? Meaning they go, okay, you guys got it. We're going to come in and start arguing for these three things. I'm not worried that it gets hijacked, but I do think what you just said is going to happen. They're going to come in, for yeah. example, and they're going to propose the repeal of the Second Amendment or things like that. Right. I expect I expect all of that. But uh, if you think about the numbers and the process, it takes 34 states to get in. They're going to be Republican states. That's a supermajority of the convention. Virtually impossible for Democrats to hijack that. So I think. Okay, so so maybe not the Democrats, but I think of the story that you just told, Mark. Right, you yep. win, you go to Washington, and they schedule the lobbyist lunch. Right, yeah. what prevents the 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 deep state, the bureaucracy, the swamp, whatever you want to call it, from saying, okay, Mark, you're going to call your convention, we're going to send our people there to make sure that that we get what we want. Well, look, I do think they'll try. I'm not naive, naive right. enough to believe that they won't try. The difference is. And I don't mean this physically, I, I mean it structurally, you're not in Washington, D.C. They don't have the home team advantage. This is a brand new process. They've not been involved before. We're not pulling staff from Washington, D.C. You don't have all the appendages in D.C. that get in the way of everything that good people want to do in D.C. So it starts as much more of a clean slate. It's a limited uh, function venue, right? You go in, you're doing one thing, which is holding the convention. Hopefully it'll be in the center of the country somewhere so you don't have as much influence from Washington, D.C. But I, I want to be really clear. All of that being said, I think you're right. I think they're going to try. And that's right. why I think it takes people like you and me who've been around the block a few times to structurally put everything in place we can to prevent that. Yeah. And that's that's I mean, let me ask you one last question on this before I, I want to get to there was a story that I saw the other day, a profile on the new speaker, Mike Johnson, and, and it was referring to him as you know, belonging to this right-wing organization, I read further and it was like Convention of States. And I was like, oh, great, yeah, whatever. But but, uh, do you guys have a good relationship with him? And and how, how has his involvement been with you guys? Yeah, I mean, we have a historically good relationship with him, obviously, because we don't work in Congress. We haven't worked with him for a few years. Uh, but he was a champion of ours in Louisiana, on the floor right. in Louisiana, gave a, gave a great floor speech. Look, I think it's incredible that he became speaker. I wasn't in favor of all the chaos that led to it, but here's a guy that's a godly man who is professionally a constitutional lawyer who I think puts country before self, uh, and we do have a long relationship with him, so I think it's going to be very positive for Convention of States in the future. That's awesome. I want to wrap up real quick on this Friday with a quick rapid-fire question. You ready? Yeah, go. Okay, when you travel, do you arrive early or just in time? Uh, generally I arrive early. How low can you let your cell phone battery go? Uh, I can go down to about 5%, but I always have an extra battery with okay, me. Okay. That's I was waiting to hear that part. How many unread emails do you have? Uh, right now over a hundred thousand. <laughs> I love it. All right. If you could, uh, binge any show, if you had 48 hours to do it, what would it be? The chosen. Ah, uh, smart answer. I love that. Uh, for those of you who don't have, have didn't watch, the, the, I huge fan. Uh, how clean do you keep your house? Well, my wife keeps it very clean. My desk is a disaster. What is your least favorite chore? 
Uh, least favorite chore would be, uh, I have Great Danes. Cleaning up after the Great Danes is not a good time. <laughs> I get that. Uh, coolest celebrity you've ever met? Uh, Sean Spicer, for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, you can't. Okay, move on. Let's go. Give me another one. Oh, gosh. Coolest celebrity I've ever met. I'm not much of a celebrity guy. Okay. But I would say, uh, it sounds kind of funny and maybe he's not enough of a celebrity, but meeting Leonard Leo for the first time. Oh, okay. Uh, that's fine. That's Leonard a big Leo. one because he's had so much influence on the Supreme that's right. Court. No, he has. Judicial, yeah, I, he's huge. Federalist Society, et cetera. If you could have one drink with someone you've never met before, who would it be? Somebody living today? Anyone. Living or dead. I mean, uh, anyone, I'd like to sit down with Jesus. Smart man. Uh, biggest pet peeve? Uh, people who are late. I knew it. Uh, something that you won't go cheap on? I generally don't go cheap on anything. I've learned when I go cheap, I always end up going more expensive later. <laughs> I've learned that lesson myself. Uh, and then the last question is, I did a reality TV stint on Dance with the Stars. If you were forced to go on any reality television show of your choosing, what would it be? Well, I don't watch any reality TV, so that's hard for me. But I can say as a guy who absolutely can't dance, it would not be dancing with How the How about stars. a type? Would you do like a survivor type show or cooking? Like, is there a hobby you like where you'd say, I'd do a cooking show? Yeah, or... it would probably be something survivor. I love the outdoors and I love okay. to challenge myself. I like the mental stretch of those things along with the physical. So it'd be some kind of thrill seeking, maybe Bear Grylls. I like that guy. Okay. All right. There you go. Shows. All right. Mark, I've enjoyed this conversation. This is the perfect way to end a week uh, here on the show. Thank you for this. Uh, remember, guys, we're going to have a great week next week as we head into Thanksgiving weekend. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for being with us. Continue to subscribe five stars on Apple Podcasts if you can or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, share on YouTube and Rumble. We'll see you back here next week on The Sean Spicer Show.